You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so the kids are heading off to Kids Church, and I'll show you a video clip about the new year. We stand at the edge of this new year. These 365 days in front of us. And instead of letting them blow by us, we look each of them in the eye. And one by one. We live them with intention. 365 days of sheer purpose. Each lived like it's the only day we've got. What if I live every day like no other day is owed to me? I'd reach out to my dad, make things right before it's too late. On my sister's birthday this year, I'd call instead of text. I would wake up in the morning and I would ask God what He wants me to do. I'd take those vacation days I still haven't used. Instead of inviting her to coffee, I'd invite her to church. Make myself get up early so I can watch cartoons with my kids. I'd give myself a break. I would take her to that park she's been wanting to go to, the one that's all the way across town. I'd say I love you, and I'd say it every day. On Thanksgiving, my table would be open to the whole neighborhood. Mother's Day would mean more than a $5 card. I'd let God have all the stuff weighing me down. I'd have more courage, because I'd have nothing to lose. I would take Jesus seriously when he asked us to feed the hungry. Serve the very least of these. Look after the sick. I'd be quicker to forgive because he forgave me. Living every moment with intention. Taking every purpose by the horns. Leaving nothing unsaid. Leaving nobody behind. Making every minute count. I would use every hour I had on this earth. To love God. To love others. One intentional day at a time. All right, so a new year is coming upon us. And new calendar, new opportunities. Maybe you're just going to change your calendar. Maybe you're going to change your life. Maybe you've got plans and strategies and goals and you hope that you will have a better year than last year. Maybe you're going to do more than you've ever done before so you can be more successful, or maybe you're going to do less than you did last year so you can experience a deeper relationship with Christ and better relationships and maybe more, be more satisfied at the end of the year. Maybe you're going to make more money in this coming year than you've ever made before, or maybe you're going to downsize, have less money, but be way more content with the things that you have and don't have. Maybe you're going to give a bunch of stuff away. There are just so many things that you can do to make a change in light communion that we're going to have in a few minutes. It's good to look at your life and think about what's working, what's not working, where do I want to be, where am I at, how do I get there, what can I do to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I really like, uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph. And Joseph was faithful no matter what situation he was put in. When he had an opportunity to like, be angry at God because things weren't working out, his brother sold him into slavery, um, he ended up in prison. Wherever he was, he was faithful, and God blessed him for it. As a matter of fact, when he was in Potiphar's house as a servant, he did such a good job that God even blessed Potiphar and his household. And so Joseph was blessed, and wherever he was, he was a blessing to others. And wouldn't it be cool if you could be blessed by God and be a blessing to all those around you, to be a blessing to your church, to be a blessing to your coworkers, to be a blessing to your neighbors, obviously be a blessing to your family. But wouldn't it be great if that could happen? And so I have seven recommitments to talk about, not 
for too long, but just seven things that I thought were kind of unique that we could commit to or recommit to. Now, this message is primarily for Christ followers, for Christians, I assume, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I hope that you would talk to us and find out how to do that, how to acknowledge that you're a sinner, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and save you, and then you can be a new creation, born again, assured heaven, and all of that. But I'm just going to jump in and assume that I know most of you, I'm going to assume that you're in Christ. So hopefully these aren't just commitments, but they are recommitments. So important for us as Christians to forget the past and to move on. Because sometimes the past can hold us down. Satan wants to accuse us. He wants to shut us down. He wants to do everything he can to uh, immobilize us so that we don't serve the Lord, so that we don't try to make an eternal difference, so we don't try to lead lost people to Christ. So he tries to get us hung up in past sins and guilt and accusations, inner accusations, that inner voice. Philippians 3.13 says, "Um, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So whatever happened last year, if it's sin, ask the Lord to forgive you, clean it up, change it up, maybe confess it to whoever, uh, make it right the best you can, and then move forward. Accept that forgiveness in the Lord and move forward in a new passion, a new life. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm actually going to look at this verse more in depth, but forget the past, move on. The Bible says that when we come into Christ, we become a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're new in Christ, and I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to have a new car before. I've actually, I think I've had two in my lifetime. I've had two brand new cars. Uh, You know, you get them, they have like 30 miles on them or whatever, and everything's about it is perfect. You tell the kids, you can't eat in the car. No one gets to use the car. The car gets washed every week. It's babied, it's cherished, and then eventually, as time goes on, it gets dings. The kids get it dirty. Um, Just life happens to the car. The car gets old. You don't value it as much. And uh, you don't think about it as much, or you look at it and go, well, you know, it's not as nice as it was when it was new. It doesn't even smell new anymore. And so you just kind of disregard it. The same thing can happen in your Christian life. You can say, oh man, when I first came into a relationship with Jesus Christ and I knew I was saved, I just felt it. I just felt forgiven. I was so excited about my faith. I was so excited to read the Bible and to pray and to share that with others. And then as time went on, you just got used to it, or you got busy, or people didn't respond the way that you thought they would. Uh, when you told them about your faith in Christ, you thought they'd be excited and said they thought you were like naive or weird or whatever. Maybe you need to renew these commitments. Maybe there are new commitments. I think you need to renew these commitments in the coming year. Number one, a recommitment to my faith. On your priority list and all your categories that you have for the things that you're planning, the things that you want to do, your faith needs to be first and foremost of a priority and importance. Your faith in Christ is going to make the difference between if you're living a blessed life, if you're living a life that matters, if you're living a life that when you get to the end of your days, you look back and you think about, did I spend my life well? If you're living a life of faith, it'll be much easier to say yes than it will be if you try to achieve all the things the world thinks is important and try to do all the things that uh, are fleshly, carnal, um, not necessarily of faith. So number one, a recommitment to my faith, a faith centered in Christ. So we need a faith centered in Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need, like Christ, to be focused on our faith, on what God has called us to do, on the way that we should live. We should put Christ at the center of our life. When I do marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling or whatever, I like to tell the couples that a relationship with Christ is huge. And someday if I have like an official office, I'd like to have a three-legged coffee table just for illustrative purposes because that is what it's like in a relationship. You got the husband, the wife, and Jesus Christ. Three legs. One of those legs is gone. The whole thing falls over. So um, a faith centered in Christ. A faith that works for Christ. So your faith without works is James 2.17. Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Is it dead and useless? So James says, you know, show me your deep faith by your works, by the deeds that you do, by the things that you do for Christ. You should be asking the Lord, what can you do to serve? How can you help others in need? What is it that the Lord wants you to do? Faith works for Christ. Faith does deeds and a faith that invests for Christ. The Lord, if you're living a blessed life, He might give you more money. Now, I'm not going to tell you that uh, if you give a dollar, He's going to give you ten, or if you uh, do all the right things, that you're going to be rich in every way, because maybe that's not God's plan for your life. But He does promise to provide your needs, and He might provide you with a lot of resources. And you should invest those resources back into the kingdom of God. You should take some of your money and bring it and give it back in worship to the Lord through the church and to provide for people in need. And maybe you can send kids to Christian camp. And there's just so many things that you can do with your money if you put God first in your life. And what's even better is there's promises in the Bible that says when you're generous, when you're faithful to give back to God, that He will give you even more. And so the resources are like seeds. And no farmer is going to eat every bit of his seed. So if you're a farmer, you got grain, you harvest your grain, you're going to, in the old days anyway, you're going to take a portion of it and you're going to save it for the next spring, for your next planting season, so that you can have a future crop again. And the same thing is true when you invest that seed in the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, a faith that invests for Christ. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves the person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God doesn't want you to be a financial hoarder. God says, if you're faithful with your finances and you give some away, I can give you more and you will have enough. So, a faith, a true faith, invests for Christ. Storing up treasure in the kingdom of heaven. Storing up, um, having some money set aside to help people in need. Uh, always bringing back the first fruits to give as an act of worship at church. You should never appear before the Lord in worship empty-handed. A faith to live for Christ. Hebrews 10.38 My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. You know, when you're living on the edge for Christ, when you're living by faith, sometimes it's really scary. Sometimes you don't know how it's going to turn out or how people respond or if I'm really on fire for Jesus, what is my boss going to think about me? 
What are my, maybe it's your parents. What are my parents going to think about me if you are, if they're not people of faith? And so then you want to turn back and say, well, Jesus, I would love to follow you, but I'm really concerned about what other people think. And then you shrink back. A faith to live for Christ and says, Jesus is number one. If I disappoint these people, even if they disown me, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be faithful. A faith to live for Christ. Benjamin Franklin said, be always at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let each new year find you a better man. And I think that's really good advice, especially when you think about your sinful vices that pull you away from Christ and are in process of possibly destroying your life. And so you want to be at war with your vices, try to be at peace with your neighbors, and let each year find you better. Will next year, will 2020 find you better than 2019? I hope so. Number two, a recommitment to my position. Who am I in Christ? Um, if I could get a couple of volunteers to uh, share one of my uh, favorite resources from Neil T. Anderson's Living Free in Christ. I don't know, a couple of kids want to come up and full of energy, want to help share, pass these out. Anyone? I see that hand. Sweet, I see that hand. All right, share these with everybody. <clears throat> and this is the list of who I am in Christ. And I'm not going to read them all because I don't have time to read them all. But this is a great resource for you to think about during your devotions. I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm significant. Bible verses to go through it. Uh, it's been around for a really long time, but it's a great resource. Hopefully you're familiar with it. It's nothing new. If it is new, it will really encourage you in your faith. Psalm 42. We are on a firm foundation in Christ. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand, Psalm 40, 40, verse 2. So, think about what your life would be like without Jesus. What would your life be like if Christ hasn't, hadn't come into your life? Maybe, maybe it's easy for you to share uh, what your life was like and how you were a mess and how Christ has helped you, how He's lifted you up, how He's given you a firm place to stand. He gives you Scripture as a firm foundation to base your life on, a firm foundation. Uh, not under condemnation, when you are going from day to day and you feel like you just can't get it right, this is one of the most important verses in the New Testament that you should just call on and remember that says there's no, now condem there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus in Romans 8.1. So that means that because you came into faith in Christ, because Christ has saved you from your sin and made you right in God's eyes, there's no condemnation. So wherever you are in life, you can come back to the Lord and say, hey, I've made a mess. I've made a mistake. I'm not doing this right. I, thank you. I just never, I thank you. I just never seem to be able to get it perfect. And I, I just don't even know why I try anymore. Remember that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And he's going to keep helping you. The Holy Spirit will keep helping you. Keep trying, keep serving, keep living. And know that in your shortcomings, Jesus can make up the difference. Uh, so many times we feel like we're serving and we don't see results. We are faithful and we don't see God working. We are praying and we don't see answers sometimes, but we should just trust and know our position says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And there's, we belong to Jesus. So Ephesians 1.6, we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. So have you come into a personal relationship with Christ? Because then you belong to Jesus. You're on Jesus' team. You're on Jesus' side. You're part of God's family. Ephesians 1.6.
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of the result of work, so that no one may boast. So you can't work your way into heaven. No matter how good you are, you couldn't be good enough to make yourself right with the Lord. But Jesus, like I said, made up the difference, makes it possible for you to be saved through his grace, through your faith, and he actually helps you through the Holy Spirit to have faith. And that saving isn't anything for you to brag about or to boast about because it's a gift from God. And so we belong to Jesus and it was all God and Jesus working to make it happen. Hebrews 4.16 says, we are allowed direct access into God's presence. So our position is not just we're in Jesus, but we can walk into the Heavenly Father's throne room whenever we need to. We have direct access to God, according to Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So that means that we can, through prayer, come to the Heavenly Father and ask for whatever we need, share with what He's, he's got time for us. He cares about us. We are allowed direct access into God's presence, according to Hebrews 4.16. Number three, a recommitment to assurance. If I am assured of my position, if I am assured of my faith, if I'm assured of where I'm at in Christ, it's going to make a difference in how I live my life. To be assured of my security. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. To be assured of salvation. You know, when somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then as time goes along, something bad happens to them, and then they die, some wonder, well, did they lose their salvation? Which is a real interesting theological question, but it appears there's a lot of verses that show that when we come to Christ, if we're truly saved, that we continue to be saved. So that means that if I'm all out for Jesus, and then somehow I like get some kind of virus, or I hit my head or something, and something happens to my brain, and all of a sudden there's words coming out of my mouth that you never heard before, and I'm not the same person, and I appear not to have any faith. It's not the faith that work, that I have to work out to the very end. It's I truly received Christ. I was truly born again. I truly became a new creation and assured of heaven. And Satan can't pull me away. People can't pull me away. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. There's great comfort in that security in that verse. Assured about eternity, the Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Psalm 121, 8. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the, in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So God wants us to know we have eternal life. He wants us to be assured of eternal life. He wants us to live like we have eternal life now and that will make all the difference in the way that we live our life today. This world isn't all we have. And that becomes even more and more significant as we get older, as we think about coming to the end of our years and where are we going to be and um, am I really saved? Is heaven for sure? Am I really doing the right thing following Jesus? Yes, you are. If you believe in the Bible, it makes it very clear that we can trust that Jesus has got us covered. Jesus has got us taken care of. We will pass through the door of this life into the rest of eternity. And what a great, glorious time that will be to be assured about eternity. To not fear death. I mean, we shouldn't want to die. Actually, next week I'm going to talk about suicide and the man who almost committed suicide and didn't and how his life is different because of it. 
the jailer in Acts, but assured about eternity. Rick Warren wrote in On This Holy Night, he wrote, Real peace is knowing that no matter what I do, God will never stop loving me. Real peace is knowing that no matter what happens, God will never leave me alone. He'll always be with me. Real peace means that no matter what happens in the new year or in the years to come, I know that God is going to give me the strength to handle it. Real peace is living by God's Word, the Bible, so that I can avoid a lot of the needless hang-ups and hurts and habits that mess up my life. Number four, recommitment to serving. To serving. So we have so many opportunities to do stuff, and God calls us to be servants, to serve, to serve Christ's way. Mark 8.34, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must, take up your, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So when you carry a cross, that is actually something shameful, something burdensome, something that Christ wants you to do. Jesus took up his cross and wasn't popular for it. Now we use it as jewelry and whatever else, and we look at the cross. The empty cross is a reminder that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. But to serve Christ's way, to take up our cross, to give up our own way, and to take up our cross and follow Him. Joshua 24. It's a great part of the Old Testament in Joshua. I hope that you pick up a Bible reading plan somehow and you get your way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. I just started one today for the year that takes you through the Old Testament once and through the New Testament twice on uh, the version Bible reading plan. So, serving God, Joshua 24. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's small g, the false gods, their idols. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Is that your commitment for you and your house? You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to set up guidelines or rules in your house. Uh, you're going to be the gatekeeper for the media. You're going to try to uh, do what you can to push your family in a godly way towards Christ, to do everything you can to live for Christ in your home and the things that you choose to do and the things that you choose not to do to serve God. And then serving as God planned, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which is so weird to think that the God of the universe, when He created things and thought of you, He had a plan for your life. He had something for you to do. Maybe, maybe there's one thing in your life that's like super significant, that once you do this, once you make that play, it changes all of world history. Maybe not. Maybe you help somebody to reach that point, to be that pivotal, 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 pivotal person that makes a difference. But maybe it's just you being faithful day after day after day and people see the difference in you and they get saved and they spend eternity in heaven. But God created works in advance for you to do. Pray about that. Ask what those are. Be faithful in the little things and see God work through you as you're faithful to serve Him. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher and theologian of old, said, Resolution 1, I will live for God. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. Number five, a recommitment to joy. A recommitment to joy. James 1, 2, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. In the circumstances of life, whether they're good or bad, to find joy in them. 
Joy isn't always happiness, but it's a confident assurance that things are going to be okay. It's a contentment that says, you know, this isn't probably, you know, the best thing that I could ever think of happening, but I can see how God can use this. I can see how uh, I should be content. I'm going to choose joy in the midst of this trouble, trouble and ask the Lord to help me through and see what good can come of it. Joy because of redemption, Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loved, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You can have so much joy because Satan is defeated, because you have this opportunity to live in Christ, to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness, to be brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves, to, to enjoy that, and that should bring you great joy and great delight to know that you're on the winning team, to know that you're victorious. What a great thing. Joy because of freedom, Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another and love. To be free from all those chains that would bind you. To be free from having to try to observe the Old Testament law. To be free to live as Christ intended. To be free to serve. To be free from sin brings joy. Number six, a recommitment to my prayer life. Praying, everybody knows we should pray more, but what if you prayed in the morning like on the video? What if you prayed before you started the day and gave your life to the Lord uh, for the day, said, Lord, I'm available, confess any known sin, pray about the opportunities that you have, the expectations you have. First John 5.14, this is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And John 15.7 says, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Are you praying confidently and expectantly? Are you praying about the things that you need? Are you praying about the things that you could do or not do? Pray before you go. Pray as you go. Pray as you are out and about. Pray when you come back home and you're sitting on your bed reflecting on the day. Pray. Praying for others, even your enemies. I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those in authority in our political time when life is so difficult. I urge then, first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. So pray for those political leaders that you like and don't like. Pray for the people that are in charge of your city and pray for the people in authority at work. Pray for all of those in authority and pray continually and thankfully. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18. And finally, the last one, and then I'll ask the guys to come up while I have communion. A recommitment to share my testimony. To get the mindset that people want to hear your story. People want to hear what Christ has done in your life. People want to hear what you believe about Jesus, how you got saved, what He's done in your life since you've gotten saved, and how they can be saved. A recommitment to be ready to share your testimony, your faith story. First Peter 3.15 Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to ask, answer questions about what you believe. Be ready to share what you believe and to stand up for your faith in Christ. Not be ashamed of that. Psalm 119.17 says, Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truth in your instructions. And then Psalm 119, 171 says, Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decree. So as the Lord teaches you things, share that with others. As you experience the Lord teaching you and you're growing, be quick to share that with somebody else. You'll be much more likely to remember it and hold, it on, hold on to it 
yourself. And sometimes God can use what you did or what you read in your devotions that morning to transform somebody's life in the afternoon. So be ready to share a testimony of praise. Matthew 5.14 talks about being light in a dark world. Uh, your light of the world, the town built on a hill cannot be hidden in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be a light in the darkness. People might, again, think that you're strange. They might think you're weird. They might think that you're an eyesore. But let your light shine. It glorifies God and it makes a difference. And this is really interesting. Job 2.10, Job says to his wife, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And when you share your testimony, be just like that. Do not sin in what you say. So do not lie, do not brag, do not boast in your sin to make him, oh yeah, you did that, oh my sin was way worse than that, let me tell you about it. Don't focus on your sin, focus on your salvation. Do not brag, do not lie, be careful in the way that you share your testimony, Job 2.10. And my testimony for the next generation, Psalm 71, my mouth will tell of your righteous deeds with your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. How to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And so your testimony shared, your testimony shared to the next generation. Your faith not only can be shared, but passed on to your children, to your grandchildren, to those people, your nephews, nieces, those people around you, uh, let them see your strong faith and then they can use that as a pillar to hold on to in difficult times when their faith is tested. So it's time for communion, so I'll ask the guys to come forward for communion. Uh, a lot of times we like to take selfies, maybe you have a selfie stick, Christmas time came and you had um, pictures, but it looked like somebody took them, but you used a selfie stick or you talked to your camera and you told it to take your picture. And we like to take selfies often. Um, it's interesting how many times the selfie pictures look so different than the pictures of the people in real life after filters have been applied and uh, touch-ups have been applied. Uh, there's one photo editing thing that has a thinify button, and if you hit it a lot of times, you look like you end up looking like Bert from Sesame Street with a really narrow head. Kind of weird. But anyway, examine your life. The Bible says that we should examine our life. You should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So, 1 Corinthians 11.27 says, Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. So, communion was a serious thing, but it wasn't, um, what, what does unworthy mean? I mean, we're all imperfect, so that would kind of make us unworthy, but Christ makes us worthy. So if we are believers in Christ, we can take communion, and we should realize that we are remembering that Jesus died on the cross, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, and that he rose again, and that he's coming back, and that we should remember that, and we should take it as a serious time. And as we do that, communion can be a very meaningful time. Communion can be a time that helps us to see what we're doing wrong, to make a recommitment to the Lord, to confess any known sin, to thank Him for what He's doing in our life, to trust Him for what He's going to do in the future. 
communion can be a very meaningful time, and we have communion because Jesus commanded it. It is an ordinance that he commanded. 1 Corinthians 11.31, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Jesus wants holiness from us. Jesus wants us to live and follow his way. He just doesn't want to save us and set us free to do whatever we want and say, oh, sin doesn't matter. He knows that sin matters and it can destroy our lives and the people around us. So we want to choose holiness. We want to choose to follow God's way. So communion. Paul wrote, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So some music's going to play. The bread's going to be passed out. Hold on to it. I'll come back up. We'll pray. We'll take it together. Let's pray. Jesus, it is so amazing that we find ourselves coming up on the year 2020. And maybe we had really high expectations of where we would be or who we would be by the time we reached this point in our life. Or maybe we're just amazed that our life didn't self-destruct like it could have because you rescued us. But Lord, we thank you that we can look back in history and see that you died on the cross for sin, that you rose again, that you offer us new life. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us opportunities to serve, uh, gifts and abilities to serve. You empower us, and you have great, great opportunities uh, for us if we're faithful to take them. So Jesus, we thank you. We take this and we eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we're going to pass the cup around, hold it, I'll come back up, and we'll pray. But what a great time to praise the Lord and thank him for what he's doing in your life, to thank him for where you're at and the opportunities that uh, are before you in the coming new year. Maybe you read this quote. Maybe you were praying, didn't see it. A.W. Tozer wrote, Of all persons, the Christian should be best prepared for whatever the new year brings. He has dealt with life at its source. In Christ, he has disposed of a thousand enemies that other men must face alone and unprepared. He can face his tomorrow cheerful and unafraid because yesterday he turned his feet into the ways of peace and today he lives in God. The man who has made God his dwelling place will always have a safe habitation. Jesus, I thank you so much that you give us this opportunity, that you give us your word, that you give us your word in so many different ways through audio and through our phones and online and by video. And there's really no excuse for us not to be in your word. But Lord, there are so many distractions, there are so many things to watch that are entertaining and music that tickles our ears and uh, audio books that are... Uh, intriguing and interesting and so many things that distract us from you. Lord, I pray that this would be the year that we get into your word and it transforms us and the people around us. Lord, I pray that this would be the year that we put you first and we lead lost people to you, that uh, we pray for impossible things and see amazing answers and it reinforces our faith in you. But we thank you. We take this and we drink. And we commit our new year to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find resources to help you grow in your faith, give online to support this ministry, and share your prayer requests with us at riverrockchurch.com. May God bless you. Share Jesus with others this week.